This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast is brought to you by Bowerfine Premium Braces and Supports. Bowerfine promotes mobility and activity through pain relief and improved joint control. That's just kind of why I'm so passionate about it, just to help people through what I've learned. Kind of like if I've gone through it, I don't want other people to, and it kind of makes it worth it for me. Net positive. Welcome back to the Bendy Bodies Podcast, where we speak with experts, bringing you state-of-the-art information to help you improve your well-being, enhance your performance, and optimize career longevity. This is co-host Jennifer Milner, here with the Hypermobility MD, Linda Bluestein. We are so glad you are here to learn tips to live your best Bendy life. This information is for educational purposes only, and is not a substitute for medical advice. I'm Jennifer Milner, a former professional ballet and Broadway dancer, and I struggled my whole career with hypermobility-related injuries and issues. Now I train dancers and want to make sure the next generation of hypermobile artists are better equipped to work to their fullest potential. I'm Dr. Linda Bluestein, and I started Bendy Bodies to educate the hypermobile community. Despite being a physician, I experienced decades of symptoms before being finally diagnosed with hypermobile EDS. I've combined my medical education and personal experience to treat and coach patients and clients to optimize their quality of life. Our guest today is Gigi Robinson, content creator who is passionate about using her platform to raise awareness for EDS and chronic illness. Gigi's podcast, Everything You Need Is Within, discusses body image, chronic illness, mental health, and identity from a Gen Z point of view. Hello, Gigi, and welcome to Bendy Bodies. Hi, thanks for the intro. Absolutely. We're super excited to chat with you. I'm excited to be here. You're both really cool. And <laughs> it's, it's really fun to be interviewed by people, like I said before, who I haven't been interviewed by with unique and somewhat similar backgrounds as well. Well, we are excited to dive into it. So before we go any further, can you tell us a little bit about who you are now, sort of what you do now? Yeah, I like this question because it's about like in the being in the present. Well, I just finished my master's degree, like um, less than a month ago. So today, I guess you could say I'm like a full-time public speaker and content creator. I have been doing it full-time, but in addition to school, uh, part-time. So at night. And so I think like right now, I'm just doing a lot of public speaking and advocacy work, working with different nonprofits and, you know, speaking to different companies and different organizations and partnering with different brands that want to help me curate spaces for creators that are safe, um, where they can talk about things and not create content or create content at their own, you know, just, just to have fun and shoot photos with friends instead of like going to an event for the sole purpose of like taking photos and posting photos. Like you don't always have to do that. And so I think it's really cool that that's what I get to do. And that's what I'm working on this year. That's awesome. And there's so many things we want to discuss with you today, um, but let's start with your medical journey. Um, you've said that you were diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome when you were only 11. And what led your family to seek medical help at that age? Well, there's a few things, but luckily, like I live in New York City. So I grew up with incredible healthcare around me. I live like my mom's a nurse. So I had great healthcare uh, benefits or insurance through her. And I, <laughs> I have one more year left, <laughs> a little bit worried about that now, but you know, just like being around that, I think always was like trying to like ask a friend, like, where should I go? What should I do? And then I kept getting random injuries and I grew up with like bruises, but you know, everyone just thought like, oh, she's just like really clumsy, which like I am, but at the same point, it's like a, a bruises still can appear. And I'm like, where do they come from? 
And so at, at certain points, they just kept bringing me to the doctor. And I think my mom told me that at one point when we were in the ER, like one of the attendings or from was from the hospital for special surgery right next door uh, to New York Presbyterian. And so that doctor recommended we go see the pediatric orthopedist there um, who they were like working with or learning from. And that doctor took her like two visits for her to figure it out. And then, well, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there, but that's just, (laughs) that was like the first, um, then I would say, you know, it was like, go to a geneticist, go to this rheumatologist, go to blah, 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 just to confirm, uh, the, the diagnosis and like it was, but, uh, I think, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I literally just recently in, in 2022, uh, like a couple of weeks ago had the surgery, the laparoscopy to see about endometriosis. And it's really interesting. Um, I don't know if there's studies that correlate EDS to it or not. Um, I see you're smiling. So maybe, <laughs> you know, something I don't, um, but I think reflecting on it now, it's kind of frustrating to think that like, I've been searching for additional answers as to like, why I always have had this stomach pain or like bad back pain or like, you know, like, why does this exist? And now I have the answers 13 years later and it's like, (laughs) it's kind of frustrating. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I think, I think that's a good, good word in terms of my own health. Um, what I want to do is help others get there now. So anyway, that was a little bit of a full scope. Well, and, and it's important to note too, first of all, a lot of our listeners will start the story with, I knew something was wrong early on, right? But not everyone is as fortunate to get diagnosed as you were yeah. so early. So that's really fantastic. And um, it's going to continue to be a journey. As you know, it's taken you 13 years to know what you know now, Yeah. 10 years from now, you're going to look back and go, oh my gosh, I learned so much more <laughs> in the next 10 years. So it's, it's yeah. that, it's that gift that keeps on giving. It's that onion that's never completely peeled. Yeah. The onion. Exactly. <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> yeah. And the endometriosis question is an interesting one. There's there, a lot of people in the EDS space suspect that there is a correlation, but it's hard because, you know, endometriosis is quite common, common. And, and, and definitely underdiagnosed as well. And we know that, you know, EDS and endometriosis are both things that occur more in females, or at least, you know, we, these are things that we see in females. So it, it's harder to actually make a correlation between two things that are more common than two things that are more rare. So right. in terms of like statistical analysis and, and yeah. designing a study and things like that. So, um, but we do know that mast cells can be involved and we know that mast cells can be involved with EDS. So there's that connection. So anyway, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. My, my doctor basically said the same thing. She was like, I can't say yes. And I can't say no, but I have seen a bunch of women with EDS also have this. So it's, I think also that was reassuring too, that like, there are actually at least people that like, it's not like, oh, just like your random person who like might not have any other health issues all of a sudden just has it. But um, something I wanted to say earlier on the note of uh, some of your success recently and being in the news and everything talking about EDS is kind of like the, um, what happens when like it's overdiagnosed or like not overdiagnosed, but now it's so common that like, it's, it's almost like, it's like, finally, like it's getting the the press that it deserves, but like, it's still hard to make people around you understand fully what you're going through. Um, And I just felt like that wasn't something important to bring up because people sometimes are just like, oh yeah, like I have a friend who's sick or like my mom's sick. And it's like, yes, but this is hard to explain. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's something that we hear a lot. And I think one of the goals of the podcast for sure is to help people feel less alone. And, yeah. and we get that message all the time from people that they do feel less alone and, you know, feeling, feeling alone is a bad feeling and it's, and it's really hard. So whether it's like you said, whether it's endometriosis or, you know, you have symptomatic joint hypermobility from whatever cause, cause we try to keep also keep the conversation like from that standpoint, like really broad, right. um, because of course there's people that listening to this that are going to have symptomatic joint hypermobility from another, for another reason. Right. Um, yeah. but, but it's, it is, it's, I think it's really hard sometimes if people have not walked the walk, it's really hard for, you know, yeah. family and friends to, to understand what it's like to live in a body that just doesn't behave like other people's bodies. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, which leads me to, to wonder how did your, with being diagnosed when you were 11, how did your health affect your choices um, through high school and, and mm. beyond? Yeah. This is like a question that I think about a lot. Um, I recently watched the Lizzo documentary on HBO mm. Max. Uh, it's called Love Lizzo. And very early on in the film, she says, life doesn't take you very far from where you're supposed to be. And I really thought that was a beautiful quote that she had said, especially because it doesn't negate or like dismiss, like everything happens for a reason. It's just kind <laughs> of like, you know, it's like some things just happen. And as a result, you're going to go somewhere. And like, it's, where you're supposed to be no matter what, even if it's like painful or hurts or like upsetting. And so when I was diagnosed with EDS, I actually was doing competitive swimming mm. and I was actually really, really good at guess what stroke butterfly. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, nobody's good at butterfly naturally. <laughs> right. And you have to train to be good at butterfly. I just could rotate my shoulders so quickly. Um, and I remember this was, you know, after I, I'd fractured my elbow first and then I had fractured my ankle and then I had to kind of stop around then. And my doctor said, you know, if you keep swimming, you're going to have issues. So you should just stop while you're, you're here. And I'm like you know, 11, I'm like growing up. I like, haven't even got my period yet. I'm like, I don't know what, how am I supposed to stop doing the thing I love? Ah. And so I end up, uh, just like doing something else, which was art. I always liked art. Like I was always a crafty girl, but I had picked up my dad's camera and I started just like documenting as much as I could and making art and using that almost as my like escape. Like if I could learn something else that, and I could get really good at something else, then, um, you know, maybe it, I would, I would feel like accomplished or better, or like just even the sense of like learning, almost became addictive to me because it helped me focus on something other than how I was physically feeling. Um, and to be honest with you, that has lasted all the way up until three weeks ago when I just finished grad school. So this is like a very real thing that I'm actually dealing with now to this day is this entire realization of like, I was using school to dismiss my health issues. Mm. Um, and so um, and, and my hobby even became that too. And so it just became really something that I, I loved. I loved telling people stories and doing something that was like, not about me. And it wasn't until I got to college really that I dealt with ableism from my, my teachers and things mm. like that. And my friends around <laughs> friends <laughs> where they, uh, you know, just didn't understand. And I went to the University of Southern California, which is 3000 miles away from New York City. And, you know, everything I knew and my doctors and had to get reacquainted. And 
explain myself and go through doctors that didn't understand EDS that like said they did online or like so on and so forth. And so uh, it was really once I went through that, that I realized I, although I had a diagnosis, like I didn't know how to stand up for myself and like really advocate for myself because it was like, I already have a diagnosis. What else is there to do? Right. Um, and so as I went through those experiences out there, I think I really learned a lot about communicating, knowing what I need to communicate, um, knowing how to communicate it, knowing, you know, what's something that's me being ridiculous versus what's something that like I wouldn't want from a friend or a partner or like a teacher even, you know, um, when do I seek that extra assistance from the disability office? And as I was doing that, I was building my social media and eventually I ended up sharing my art that I was making, I was documenting, you know, people with EDS in the local EDS support group area for a project because a teacher didn't believe me. So I was like, <laughs> you better now. <laughs> Let me show um, you. <laughs> exactly. And then I did, you know, a series of self-portraits at the hospitals. Like I would literally sneak my camera and my backpack into the hospital. I, I don't know if this is legal or not. I always like, okay, <laughs> I talk about this very lightly. Um, but I, you know, brought my camera and I took photos in inside the office of myself there. And those were my critiques and I did color studies. And as I did that, it was like a form of like real, like it was a form of validating my experience. And from that, it helped me have, I think, the power to talk about it. And as I talked about it in person, I also talked about it online. And that's really where like it got me to where I am doing what I'm doing today. That's so interesting. It's almost like a full circle. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about hitting that EDS wall, like they're great, they're great, they're great until they're not great. But it sounds more like um, you hit a preemptive wall when you were 11 and the doctor was like, well, you should know, you should just quit now, which may not have been as harsh as the doctor said it. I don't know. You may have been much gentler, but to hear something like that preemptively and for you to think, okay, well, I'm going to figure out a workaround. And you started pursuing something that, that in a sense didn't require you. You said you were documenting other people and looking at other things. Um, and creating art that wasn't so dependent on you physically. And yet it came around in this wonderful full circle to be the art was sharing yourself in a very authentic way to educate others. So it's really interesting how you sort of grew into your diagnosis without really losing your stride. And I'm sure it was much more difficult than that. And there were ups and downs, yeah. of course, but, <laughs> but just that as you grew into it, so did your voice. Um, and I think it's really interesting what you said. Um, you said, although you had a diagnosis, you hadn't really learned how to stand up for yourself and advocate for yourself. You mm -hmm. did grow up in a very wonderful bubble of knowledgeable people and, and medical people in your family yeah. that were able to advocate for you and stepping out. Um, you didn't just have to learn how to cook, you know, more than ramen noodles or, or whatever most college students do, but you had to learn, oh, some people won't take my diagnosis and go, oh, okay. I understand that means I need to X, Y, Z. You had to educate them. Um, so that's yeah. really a, that's such a an big amazing burden. use of that time. Yes, it is. It is. But that's such it's an amazing burden. use of that time. Um, one of the hats, one of the many hats that you have worn is that of a swimsuit model. Um, and then <laughs> also an advocate for body positivity. So did one yeah. thing encourage the other? Did you, did you get a lot of feedback? Do you get a lot of feedback from teenagers struggling with body positivity? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, when I saw this one girl win with SI, she was from USC and I had met her. I'd met her before this, like at college. And I was like, oh, like super cool, like whatever. And she won it. I was like, when, when that happened, I was like, if it's possible for her, like it's also possible for me. So like, why not? Um, when somebody does something 
especially if it's like within your reach, it makes it, it makes almost like a dream, like truly like reality for other people, I think. And I think that's like a cool, cool way to look at competitions in some ways. And so, uh, cause that's really what it was. And so I entered, you know, an open casting and I just knew that like, I didn't want to do it for like any reason. Cause like, you know, I think SI is a very body positive network for the most part. And they have been pretty inclusive of different body types with the exception of, you know, disability and chronic illness. And I saw a lane and an opportunity to use my story to help other people. And when that whole thing went down, I mean, and it, it you know, was announced, I can't tell you the enum- like the amount and the number of messages that I received from people being like, I feel seen for like the first time ever that like you are the person that's there representing like us. And that was like, just, that was the point. That was the whole point of doing that. It wasn't about, I mean, yes, it was about like a- achieving SI status, but like, I don't model full time. Like I'm not, that's not my, my life uh, work. My life's work is helping people and what better way to do it. Um, and so, and, and also help people, you know, with body, body positivity, specifically people who maybe can't always work out. I, you know, I did this one interview during that time. It was with the U S sun and it was on what I did to prep for the shoot. And I really liked this interview because she asked me questions about like, well, you know, did, did you, you know, go get, you know, body sculpting or like work out or change your diet? And I was like, no, like I, I didn't. And the reason is because like one, that's not who I am, but two, like, I don't have the spoons. Like I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm good just as I am. And I know that. Um, and I, if I physically had pushed myself, I would have felt miserable and I would have not performed my best. And I think just that in and of itself was like enough to like Mm -hmm. recognize that and talking about that was really important to me. So that was another part of the message of like going and doing it and not like, did I get a facial and a spray tan? Yes, (laughs) I did. But like, that wasn't, that was because I wanted to like, you know, treat myself. It was an exciting shoot. Um, but that, that wasn't like body altering. Um, so yeah, that, that's just a little bit more on that. <laughs> that's awesome. Now for if, in case someone has been living under a rock and, <laughs> and maybe isn't completely familiar. So SI, you're talking about sports illustrated, right? The swimsuit edition. Can you maybe just back up slightly and, you know, like I said, for that, for that, like, you know, those two listeners who maybe are like, I'm not sure what she's talking about. Yeah. So there's this thing that they have every year or they've had it the past couple of years called the swim search where they um, basically have an online ca- open call casting for anybody that wants to, uh, they call it like being a, a hopeful, like is, who's hopeful of getting into the magazine. And again, like it wasn't about it really wasn't about like doing it for the sake of getting into it. It was doing it for the sake of spreading a, a, a mission. And um, so I, I just, I, I literally felt called to enter it and I just did it. I just went for it. And I think it was also really cool because it helped me raise awareness for EDS and mm-hmm. it got a lot of press. Like it, I've been in glamor allure, um, New York post, us sun, Fox news. I mean, pop sugar, like, 
left and right about this. And I think it's just like, I was just like, if, if the world needs me to be the EDS girl, then so be it. Like I will help people. <laughs> I will help people this way. Um, and it's just been great to see other people kind of message me just saying like, I just wanted to let you know, like I felt, I felt seen by this. I, you know, I have some questions about EDS and then I can say, you know what, now I'm at the point where like, I'm not a doctor. <laughs> so I'm not going to be like, yeah, like, blah, blah. I'm just like, oh, that's like really great that you might think that I suggest going to a rheumatologist or like a geneticist or like whatever kind of doctor it is. Like I, at the very least have my medical lived experience to be like, oh yeah, I can, I can go and hopefully point someone in the right direction, but not necessarily with like medical advice um, and just help people feel like they at least have, like, they can start at the starting line instead of like training for it. Like I've been training for the marathon. I've already ran it. I'm, I'm, I'm prepping for the rest of the marathons that I'll run in life, but I want to help people at least get to the the starting, starting line. And that's just something that is not found like in textbooks or whatever. It's just part of who you are. And it's just fantastic that like you said, with Lizzo, life doesn't take you very far from where you're supposed to end up. It's great that this is where life has taken you and you are able to use this so much. Your um, your adv- advocacy is framed sort of from a Gen Z point of view, which I love. I have two Gen Z daughters, so they are very, um, very outspoken. And I'm extremely proud of that generation yeah. for, for learning to have a voice and for um, being as passionate. I think that Gen Z gets a bad rap a lot of the time. And on your website, you recently posted the question, if you yeah. knew you could change, if you knew you could change the way Gen Z grows up, would you? So where did that question come from in your life? I think the question came up because during COVID, I think specifically is when most Gen Z adults were entering the workforce. And there was a lot of conversation happening about how Gen Z is like a snowflake or Gen Z is too emotionally you know, unstable or soft or can't handle stress or like whatever kind of weird commentary the world had about the generation. And I thought like, why aren't leaders focused on like helping the next generation? Like in, and, and instead they're just criticizing it. Like how weird is it that older generations are more interested in being like, you are lazy and I'm mad about it instead of being like, Hey, you know, here's some things I think could actually like be a consideration to like help shape the workplace or like jobs or school or whatever, uh, you know, better. Or in addition to that, just like my own experience in college and how I, I dealt with teachers was like, if I could help other younger people deal with teachers that way, then like maybe they can have a better adulthood. Um, and so it was kind it was both of those things that I was feeling. And I still, I'm still amazed at how the, the older generations in work workplace are so, so quick to just point a finger at Gen Zers and just say, you know, you guys are just lazy. And it's like, there's two considerations I would bring to the table. One of which is like, we are a digital generation and we've lived under different like communication styles than any generation before us. Mm -hmm. Not to say that that's a good thing or a bad thing just is. And the second thing is like, it's really the leadership at these companies that's supposed to be open. Um, and we're like, just like the new kids on the block. And so why is it that you're getting mad at young people entering the workforce? Um, 
well, it just, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, every, you were once there too. And I'm sure there were older people before saying, you know, that about those generations before. So yeah, I just, I really, I really thought that that was like an interesting uh, kind of reframe on just what, what I was observing around me. And if I could help facilitate that, then that would be enough for me. You're facilitating a lot of things. So <laughs> that's just one more. Um, but what I find interesting in this, in today's climate, so much of it, and there was an article in the, in the New York Times recently about how 2022 was sort of the year when, when it just went too far, that it's just, everybody's mad, everybody's yelling at each other, and some things are just, you know, going beyond irreparable with relationships and things like that. And so much of what we do on social media and, and online is to argue without listening. And, and so a lot of Gen Zers, bless them. Like people will say, Hey, Gen Z are snowflake. And Gen Zers will be like, no, we're not. And you're like, why do you feel that way? And what can we do to change that? What could you do to support us? So it's not just being on the other side of the argument, but you're going, Hey, let's fix it. <laughs> Which is really amazing. Not that a lot of Gen Zers don't do that, but amazing to see someone see that at such a young age and be able to say, Hey, let's, let's deal with this. And I feel like you have done that with your um, advocacy for body positivity, your advocacy for EDS. Um, there's so much of that that um, that you kind of take on. And I think your generation has been speaking up because you are so tech savvy, because we were in, in isolation for a year and sort of using that. And there was so much just social justice going on as well. Um, but it's really amazing. And I just have to ask, was there any support or pivotal person in your life that sort of mentored you or showed you that way of um, facilitating and mentoring others? Yeah, this is like a, a fantastic question. I have said this before, but I grew up in a Tony Robbins household uh, with some, you know, Tony Robbins fans. And like, I think if there's anything I've learned from that, it's like, you don't need to take every piece of the pie from a certain kind of learning. So like, is he a hundred percent right? No. Like, I think there's some things that don't resonate with me from his teachings, but that's okay. Um, and so uh, something I, I did leave out also of my like medical history is like, I really did have a mind over matter situation where I was like, oh, it's gonna get better if I just do PT or if I just like ignore it or distract myself. And I didn't take medicine until August of 2021. And so it's still relatively like new in my life and only good things have happened since I kind of like accepted that. But I think part of it was just trying to always have a positive reframe on things. But um, something that also is important is like acknowledging that you can still feel like sad about the situation. Like it's, it's, but you can choose to also have like a reframe on it. Um, you can choose to have a positive thought. And honestly, I just like, like feeling happy more than I like feeling sad. And so I just part of it's just like me and part of it's just like I've gone through a UPW before which is Tony Robbins you know basic conference and I I resonated with a lot of it I thought it was really great to go through it and I love all of these motivational speakers like Mel Robbins and uh Gabby Bernstein and Ed Milet I mean I you know I, I listen to all of them um here and there and I just I think there's so much sad negative stuff. And like also on the note of Gen Z, just being so like, quote unquote, snowflakey, it's like, we're thinking about like, is it even worth it to buy property now? Because, you know, the economy so bad or because our house could get destroyed in a natural disaster or, you know, 
is it going to be a safe climate in 50 years? Like I literally, I don't know. So I think our generation is like really the generation that's going to see the decisions of older people out. And like, that's really scary to think about kind of like the demise of life as we know it. And like, is that going to happen in my lifetime? I don't, I don't think so, but like, is it's kind of inevitable. We're seeing natural disasters and record-breaking heat and cold. And it's it's like a scary thing to think about that I think a lot of us are almost paralyzed by because we're so connected to our phones digitally and we're receiving so much of that information. Like without it's almost like we don't even have permission. It's just like it's it's coming towards us through our feed, like we're, we're scrolling. It's not something we chose to look at or turn the news on and see it. It's just there. And it's integrated into algorithms now it's not even something Mm -hmm. that like we we literally don't have the choice to see so um when I think about that and have conversations with my friends about the serious stuff the only thing I'm thinking about is like how can we just like think about positive things in in these moments so so yeah and and we we are yeah we are living in some really heavy times and I think it's great that you're speaking about mental health especially because for uh, your generation, there's, you know, it's nothing like what I went through when I was a young person for sure. And, you know, generations, you know, older than me and everything. So it it is a lot. And I think it's wonderful that you are, um, you know, advocating not just in terms of chronic illness, but also mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And, and how did that become something that you wanted to speak about? Yeah, I think that body image, mental health, and physical health are all connected. I mean, mm-hmm. they are. It's not mm-hmm. even that I think that they are. Right. Um, especially for people who live with chronic health conditions, especially for at least every person who has EDS that I've talked to, you can't work out because you don't feel good or you're scared that you're going to push yourself and hurt yourself or you do that and you've done it one too many times and you take one step forward and five steps backward. And then, so you don't work out and then you either get negative comments or you feel bad and then you, you feel bad about yourself in your mind. So then you're not motivated to work out um, or do anything that's like productive. And so then it's just like a cycle. And then you're like, fine, I'm going to start it. And you almost like binge, you, you just like push it too far. And I feel like that's like, it, it's like, you're trying to compensate. Like I can never just like start and do it like at like 20%. Like it's gotta be like, if I'm doing a yoga class, like I want to be able to do it all. And if I'm just like, I start it and then I can't continue the flow, then like, I'll get sad and I'll just like sit there and like meditate. And then I'll feel sad that I didn't go through it. Um, and so it's all connected. And that was again, part of the reason why I took the stance that I did with SI and like no retouching and no going crazy with the workout or the diet or anything. Um, I think also with EDS specifically, I've had a lot of issues with like eating because I've just had stomach issues. I I can't even, doctors can't even explain what makes my stomach mad. Um, I've tried everything from a low FODMAPs diet to going completely vegan at times to not eating anything inflammatory or nightshades, like just ridiculous, like everything. And like while eating on a vegan diet gives me less acid reflux maybe than others, I still get sick from eating lettuce sometimes like a salad will just trigger me sometimes. So it's like, I can't win here. And then I'm like, what is wrong with me in my mind? I feel bad. My brain's bad. And now I'm getting body dysmorphia because I, I, if I eat, I'm sick. And if I don't eat, I'm hungry. 
and feel sick. So what's the, what's the medium? And so I think that's kind of a, a big thing that I dealt with. And then just the, also the, the, the mental like pressure of what happened in college where the people that I was literally paying to be in their classes for college were saying like, you're just copping out. Like you're being a lazy student. Like, I don't believe you. You have to, you, you, I, this one was my favorite. The teacher said, um, I don't believe that this is the real office of accessibility portal. Like you had to have Photoshopped this. And I'm like, I'm literally showing you, like, you think I'm going to go out of my way to code a website to fake (laughs) meeting to use my computer for notes. Like, like I have a 504 disability accommodation. Like, why are you behaving like this is like as a grown ass adult, like it's just embarrassing for, for them. But in that moment, I didn't know how to say like, take it up with the other person. I don't know what to tell you. Like, Mm -hmm. why would I lie about that? Um, And it's also a matter of like, if I did say something, would it jeopardize my grade? Like, and, and students deal with this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, And so over the past two years, it's just been really great to help a lot of students and uh, especially, you know, I had someone on my team for a while who had chronic health issue and I was able to help them write, you know, their letter to their, um, to their teachers about, um, sorry, I was, I was able to help, help them write letters to their teacher about needing the accommodation and what to put in it and the language to use and how to, instead of writing it in a way that's like, would it be okay? Or like, I, you know, I, I just kind of wanted to like, say that this might be what I need. Or like, if you notice I'm not there, it's like, I have a health issue. And sometimes I need to take the time off. It's like, one is kind of like explaining yourself. One is asserting yourself. And when you have a health issue, you have to assert yourself in in the school situation or else the teachers won't be receptive um, back. And so, yeah, that's just kind of why I'm so passionate about it. Just to help people through what I've learned. Kind of like if I've gone through it, I don't want other people to, and it kind of makes it worth it for me. Yeah, net positive, right? And paying it forward like that is such a huge. I mean, it does. Uh, I think it. I remember a, a therapist asked me many, many years ago, "Can you see any positive in what's happening to you right now?" And I remember being kind of offended by the question, like, "No, my life's falling apart. I'm in pain twenty four seven. Like, you know, all these things." And um, but later, I, you know, looking back, it's like. I've obviously been able to take all these things that happened to me and use it to help other people. But at the time it can be really hard to, 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 to view it that way. And it's, to me, it's really the college student thing, especially is hard because, you know, uh, they're, they're adults, they're grown adults. So, um, you know, you're not talking about, you know, elementary school kids or high school kids or, or whatever they're, they're adults. So, Mm -hmm. and, and I was curious to ask, um, how do you manage your daily life in a way that you are, um, able to take into account your chronic issues and also pace yourself? Yeah. Thanks for asking this. Great question. Something that's been really helpful for me has been my integrative wellness doctors. And I think something to note that's very important is like, you're allowed to be able to use Eastern and Western medicine. It doesn't have to be a whole, like I'm going the holistic route and that's it. It's like, I just got diagnosed with endometriosis and I don't have a choice, but to be on, you know, an IUD or, or birth control of some sort to help manage that. I don't have a choice, um, you know, with my, my pain, but to be on, you know, Lyrica to help me feel and perform my best right now. And for my chronic migraines and for my nausea, like I'm allowed to use all these, you know, medicines that have been developed in, in the, you know, Western world. And I'm allowed to go to acupuncture and get, uh, you know, 
different kinds of herbs and follow an Ayurvedic diet and, you know, life practice of eating at certain times and meditating um, and also, you know, getting massage therapy. And it's all, you're all able to do it in tandem. And I think working with an integrative team, like if anyone listening out of this has any question at all, if they should go see somebody who's really, truly open and experienced in integrating you know, different things. It's about like, what's going to help you the most. And for me, it's a little bit of both and that's okay. Um, so, so recognizing that and working with those doctors, um, second to that is those specific doctors are like sleep is one of the most important things that you can, you can do. And in the past, I've had trouble with that because of school. Um, I was doing, you know, my degree was pretty much remote and, uh, it was hybrid, but was remote. And I was doing West coast hours on the East coast at night. So it was like, you know, I was up until 1230 and I had to be on and I couldn't shut off. And I love waking up early in the morning. Like I feel my best. I feel energized. I feel like I I have productive days when I'm waking up really early and I just wasn't really able to, you know, do that, um, for the past two years. And I wasn't able to do that in college. And so I think, recognizing that and realizing that like, oh, now's this time in my life where like, I'm finally going to actually be able to regulate my sleep for once and like, hopefully stick to it. I'm excited about that. Um, I'm really excited about, you know, committing to different, different things now that I have this other key component, another chronic condition um, to add to my, my list. What can I do to, you know, help uh, my, 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 my eating routines that will help my, my body when I'm going, going through these like kind of hormonal challenges. Um, and so I, I just think it's also really important to give yourself grace. Like, I think the routine thing is like, from what I've heard, from what the doctors have said, from even just waking up at the same time for a week or not eating, you know, gluten and dairy for like a week, it's like, you just feel better, but it's okay. If you slip up, like Mm -hmm. you're allowed to slip up, like, it's okay. Like we're still human. If if we weren't slipping up, we would be robots and we're not, we're not robots. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. And I know that you have learned so much about yourself and how to take care of yourself and advocate for yourself along the way. Um, and at the same time, you are very open about your support team and having people around you who um, can help you with that. Yeah. Is there, is there advice that you would offer um, loved ones and caregivers of people with chronic illness? Like what would you mm-hmm. want people to know about walking along mm-hmm. someone like you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually a great question because I've been talking about this with one of my friends who um, not only do they have a chronic health issue themselves, but their family member also does uh, Mm -hmm. to the point where one, it's like, you know, this, this family member is completely like, can't even work versus like my friend functions. It's like a lot of times I think I have done my best to do it all and I feel like there, I don't want to burden anyone else with my health issues to, um, or, or, you know, make, make myself feel like it's like too much. Like, like I already have to like walk red carpets and go on camera and get in interviews with people that are like broadcasted. And, um, for, for some people that's already too much and like, that's okay. Like I'm, and you don't have to be everyone's cup of tea. Um, but when it comes to health stuff, that's something that like really can't be changed. That's something that either like someone's going to be like an asshole about, or they're going to be like tolerated. Uh, they're going to tolerate it, or they're going to go above and beyond because they just want you to be able to do what you do best. Like they want you to be taken care of so you can focus on like shining your light and like 
that's a new perspective that I I didn't have before. I've always been like, I'm too much. Why would anybody want to like deal with this? Like, and that's based on like certain experiences I've had with friends and, you know, little, little fun, little adventures here and there with people. And, you know, it just has never been something where I felt taken care of and appreciated despite living with health issues. And so I just think having an open mind and just knowing that like you aren't too much and like caregivers, um, you know, if, if I think asking questions, like, is there anything I can do? And then not kind of like the worst thing would be to, to lord that over someone's head to be like, well, I helped you when you were sick. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, that's like the worst. That's the worst. Um, but uh, to anyone living with the health issues, be unafraid to ask, like, actually, you know what, like, would you be able to like, bring me some like tea or like, you know, an ice pack, like that would actually be really helpful. You know, it, it's, it can be little things. Um, and I just know I personally have really appreciated people being there and offering the help, but also reciprocating it if I ask them to do something. Mm-hmm. And um, that's just been, you know, really, really a pivotal realization as I've kind of grown up. And it's really, it was, it's been really hard for me personally to get to this point where like I'm 24 and some people will say, oh, that's young. Some people say, oh, that's old, but I've always <laughs> felt right. I've always just felt this old to learn this lesson. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Is just, I've, I've felt like my illness is a burden, mm-hmm. especially in new relationships, mm-hmm. friendships, workplaces. And I've learned that if there's ever a time where I feel like I should say something about my health, then it's the right time to do it. Mm. Um, there's, there's no right time other than that of which, which you feel is right. And usually when that happens, it'll give me two answers. One of two answers. It'll give me the answer of somebody's an asshole and they're probably not, you know, someone I, I need sincerely or somebody's like amazing. And I'm super appreciative that they're, they're willing to go above and beyond to help me. So those are kind of like my, my insights on, on those situations. Well, this is great insight. Um, I know a lot of us feel like our illnesses are a burden with our chronic illnesses. And I, I love what you said about, um, finding those caregivers or friends or loved ones who want to do whatever they can to support you, but also want you to do what you need to do so that you can shine your light. And it's the people who understand, oh, you can't go out with me tonight. Okay. I will not guilt you into it. I won't make you feel bad. I won't say, how come you went out with so-and-so last week, but you didn't go out with me this week? Well, I had more spoons last week, right? Yeah. (laughs) And and I haven't done my dishes yet. So I have no more spoons. (laughs) Um, so (laughs) yeah, it's, um, that's really wise, um, to see it that way. And it's really, really hard when like it's fresh or it's new or like, you know, in college when you're just like figuring out how to like live on your own or how to, you know, pay your rent or how to keep, keep going to school and make sure you're going to your doctor's appointments. And the, the hardest one for me was friends didn't understand why I couldn't go out. And so instead of continuously being like, oh, what would you want to do this instead? It was like, oh, well, we're just going to completely stop hanging out because the only thing we do together is go party and you can't party anymore. And because you can't party, then our friendship's over Mm -hmm. and you're a bad friend for not, Mm -hmm. not supporting me and going out. And like, that's a really shitty feeling and not internalizing that. That was somebody else's judgment of who I am and like where I was. And like, it's, you know, taken processing and talking about it to realize that. And it's just like, you're not alone. And I think a lot of people go through that. And I think it's really important 
to recognize that for some people, their supportive relationships are going to come from within their family, but in other cases, it's not. So mm-hmm. um, I think a couple of things about that, that I often will tell people, you know, number one, if, you know, you may need to love your family from afar. If, you know, lots of people have grown up in family situations that were pretty challenging. And so, you know, maybe some separation for, for some people is, is actually healthier than look, then keep trying and trying and trying. And you may or may not get the support that you're looking for from that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so building a supportive network of not just healthcare professionals, but also other people. And I love what you said about being appreciative too, because that's the other thing is, you know, it's, everyone has something, right? Everyone yeah, yes, has something. Yes. We're all dealing with, with stuff. So I think it's, it's really important as the person with chronic illness, as, as you're developing maybe relationships that are outside of your family, but, you know, to show that appreciation and, you know, um, and reciprocate where you can and, and that kind of thing. Cause we all have individual needs and we're entitled to that. And I see some people expecting their spouse to like be everything for them, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think yeah. some of those things can be, can be tricky. And, <laughs> and something that kind of scares me from threads and from talking to people, even hearing that reaffirms that this exists, which I feel like you might know what I'm about to say, but that savior complex yes. mm-hmm. of a spouse who does all the acts of service and then kind of gaslights you when you can't reciprocate. That is probably my, my biggest fear. I have no reason to truly believe that this would happen to me. Um, but I've, I've seen it happen to friends and I've seen them go through that and it just hurts. And I think sometimes it's better to not not involve myself in situations than to feel that kind of hurt or betrayal um, from somebody who, you know, you might be like, I thought they loved me. And it's like, it might, it might not be that they, they didn't love you, but they thought that they could like nurture you back to health. And mm-hmm. we sure know that with EDS or like endometriosis or like other chronic health issues, like sometimes you can outgrow them. Sometimes they're lifelong. And like, you don't know, you just don't know. And so I think at 24, thinking about this, it scares me a lot. Um, and it's just been hard because I've also dealt with this in friendships. It's like, oh, well, I made you dinner this one night and you can't come out with me. Right. <sighs> right. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, no, that is hard. And that, and that savior complex is a real thing. And because and, I advise yeah. lots, of, I work with a lot of parents of ill children. I work with a lot of couples. Like I've done a fair mm-hmm. bit of couples counseling and that kind of thing. And, and with whether it's parents or loved ones in general, if you can be more emotionally neutral, it's mm-hmm. better than when you are too like, you know, um, smothering or, or negative and like belittling the person obviously, or, you know, I mean, it kind of is logical of course, but yeah. you know, in general, if you can be trying to take the emotion out of it and be more, you know, factual about, you know, I, I really need to get, maybe the person might say, I really need to get out of the house because I need some time, you know, for me, but to not say it in a nasty way or, yeah, you know, guilt, like, like you're saying about the friends and guilting and that kind of thing. I think those are excellent points that you're raising. Yeah. Well, we have covered so many things. Um, is there <laughs> yeah. anything that we didn't cover that you wanted to make sure that we touched on? I mean, I think this has been a really fabulous conversation and, like you had just said about even just validating and like hearing that you've talked to so many parents about this. I mean, that's just a sign to like, to, and, a, and, a, and almost like a, I don't want to, what's the thing like after like a war, they like raise the flag. So like call, like, it's like, we're a done. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah. But it's, it's, it's um, exactly. It's like, we need to like realize that it's not all on the patient. Like there's a lot of coaching and, you know, guidance that could be done for 
caregivers. And I think it has to do with emotional intelligence. It has to do with like, yes. just like being a good person. I mean, there's so many things that go into it, but um, overall, there's a lot that still needs to be done. And that's where I think I come in as an advocate where I have my lived experience and I'm able to kind of say like, here's what worked, here's what hasn't worked. And I can come to people like you, who is a licensed professional, I can say, well, what is something that we can, you know, give as a takeaway with like, not necessarily medical advice, but you know, some more credible um, than you're just you know, your average, you know, patient that you might mm-hmm. be talking to. Um, I think that's another fear of mine at times where it's like, people are like, why are you advocating for mental health or for chronic health issues? Like you're not a doctor. And I'm like, you don't have to be like, everyone <laughs> has something. <laughs> you don't. And, and, it's and, okay. it, and it's great that you differentiate because, you know, Dr. Bluestein, Dr. Bluestein is an expert um, yeah. medically in these fields. And I'm an advocate medically in yeah. these fields. And I don't pretend so well. to be an expert. And and exactly. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then I'm an expert in, in the Pilates sessions and she, yeah. she's, she's an advocate because she knows what it feels like on her. So yeah, as a, as a patient. And it's like, right. It's like we should just all work together to like make everybody feel less alone in their journey mm-hmm. of their their chronic health and hopefully help them in the way that they're living their life. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I have to say. It was really, really <laughs> such a pleasure talking to both of you. Well, it's been fantastic speaking with you. And I I think what we said earlier about um hitting that EDS wall, it's like you never hit the wall, but life gave you a lemon and you're like, oh. Um, I'll make lemonade. Life gives you another lemon, and you're like, "Oh, I'll make limoncello." And then you get yeah. and you're like walk around with these baskets of lemons, and the more yeah. lemons you get, the more different things you're making, and you're feeding all of these people. It's really, yeah. it's really wonderful how you have yeah. just continued to to turn outward with it and use your experiences. Um, if people um, want to learn more about you, want to to listen to what you have to say, where can they find you? Yeah, thank you again. Like I, I love that, and I love lemon pound cake and lemon coffee seed muffins <laughs> too. So you're yes. not far off there, um, but. I, uh, you can, you can Google me, Gigi Robinson. You can find me at uh, the at symbol, the word it's, and then Gigi Robinson. So it's Gigi Robinson on all social platforms. And uh, my website is ggrobinson.com. Podcast is everything you need is within. And yeah, that's available streaming anywhere, everywhere. And so if you have a question or you enjoyed it, I mean, I always, I always like the feedback and hearing back from people. So um, again, it was just so, so incredible to chat with you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed chatting with you, Gigi. And, and you're, you're such an inspiration and I love, 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 love the name of your podcast. I think that's truly brilliant. And I think, you know, so many of us, we, we start looking outward for solutions to things. And I think that, um, you know, we, we, we have so much more control over ourselves than over anything else. So I I think that's just wonderful and and so grateful to you for coming on the show. Yeah. Well, you have been listening to Bendy Bodies with the Hypermobility MD, and our guest today was Gigi Robinson. Gigi, thank you one more time for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. If you love what you learned, follow the Bendy Bodies podcast to avoid missing future episodes. Screenshot this episode tagging us in your story so we can connect. Our website is www.bendybodies.org and follow us on Instagram at Bendy underscore bodies. We love seeing your posts and stories, so please tag us using hashtag BendyBuddy. Please leave a review and share the podcast to help us spread the word about hypermobility and associated conditions. This information is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information shared is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Please refer to your local qualified health practitioner for all medical concerns. We will catch you next time on the Bendy Bodies Podcast.
This episode of the Bendy Bodies podcast was brought to you by Bauerfine Premium Braces and Supports, designed to provide joint stability and pain relief.